Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. In yesterday's devotion, we saw Jesus exercise authority and power over demonic spirits. Now we're going to see him exercise authority and power over even sickness itself. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 38. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now, Simon, by the way, for the record, has many names. He's Simon He's Cephas, spelled C-E-P-H-A-S in the English transliteration. And as we know, at the end, Jesus tells him he is Peter, which means the rock, uh, the rock upon whom the church would be built. It would be Peter, bumbling, foot in his mouth, Peter, who would get up and Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost in front of the huge crowd of Jews who were gathered in the sermon that we referred to and read from uh, uh, briefly this past weekend and proclaim Joel chapter 2 to be fulfilled in part. And he tells everybody the gospel and the Holy Spirit pours out upon Jews. And then it's Peter who's present at Cornelius's house in Acts chapter 10 when the Holy Spirit pours out upon Gentiles. So his names, if you will, are Simon and Cephas and Peter. So when you see those three names, they all refer to the same dude. He's at Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law. Now, let's briefly go down and look at this. If you're watching on video, 1 Corinthians 9.5. Now, Paul asks the rhetorical question, don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? All right, sorry, Catholic friends. Here it is, like I said in this weekend sermon. And then here he is, Cephas, Peter. Peter is married according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. And so we know that if Peter has a wife, that wife has a mother. That mother is then Peter's mother-in-law. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up and immediately began to serve them. Look at this. This is unique. There are actually a couple of unique things about Luke's account. Okay, We're in the Gospel of Luke, of course, who was a doctor, who was a physician. And we see that Jesus rebuked the fever. He rebuked not a demonic spirit, but an affliction wrought upon her through the cascading effects of original sin dating all the way back to Eden. And it left her. So he rebukes not only demonic spirits, he not only absolves the sins of all who are in him, but he has the authority and the power, building upon yesterday's devotion, to rebuke even the cascading effects of sin upon the earth forever. There's another thing that's unique about this text, and that's this word right here. High. God inspired his word through humans. Those humans struggle with the sin nature, but the Holy Spirit who inspired that word is perfect, even while the vessels through whom the word was inspired were imperfect. Luke's gospel bears the fingerprints of the physician, the scientist, He's writing a letter to Theophilus, and that letter bears his own personality. His personality is, of course, influenced by his experiences, and his experience includes that of 
a physician in his day and his age. We know that he's a physician. See uh, the very first sermon of the series, Dear Skeptical Friend. He's the only one who includes this seemingly menial descriptor, high fever. But where I want to close is with these final words, which is the second of the two verses we looked at today. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up. Okay, this is, this is cool, because it's foreshadowing of the whole book of Acts, which is Paul's second letter to Theophilus. Uh, immediately, sort of reminiscent of Mark's gospel, and then began to serve them. It's, it's quite beautiful. It's quite beautiful. Um, my feminist friends, stare, just stay with me for a second. My house throughout high school, I went to Tate High School in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, during, you know, prom or uh, post Friday night football game parties, my house was the place to be. And every parent wanted their teenager at my house because like there was nothing sketchy going on. It was just like capture the flag in the front and back pastures throughout the night. It was pancakes on the roof as the sun rose over the flying field. And uh, it was it was exquisite. Uh, growing up, I saw numerous pastors and uh, worship leaders, especially, and missionaries kind of take temporary residence in the, the second floor of our home. And uh, particularly the worship leaders would have to sing for their supper. And it was so cool. It was so cool. As a little kid, as a teenager, as a preteen, you know, as a high school kid, going to college and coming back from college even, <laughs> more than one occasion actually, come to think of it, uh, these worship leaders would sing for their supper. My mom designed our fireplace in a way that it would make a stage. You had like this kind of cobblestone effect and uh, she drew the blueprints herself. In fact, she drew the blueprints for the entire house. I know this firsthand in part because it left a triangle unoccupied behind the chimney that I had to go down and put back into position after lightning struck the house. And uh, that lightning also blew some of those cobblestones out of place when it struck the house on the chimney and we had to put them back in, but she designed it so close when they lived in a mobile home that was on that, I don't know how many acres of property. The only thing she forgot to account for was the thickness of the sheetrock. <laughs> and um, when questioned by the contractors, uh, do you really want the fireplace to look like this? She doubled down and said, yes, I want there to be a stage in front of the fireplace. And that fireplace was covered we you know with this not the kind of like brick that you'll commonly see uh at the very base at the floor level but you know probably a foot or so off the ground going back to the fireplace and this was to make a stage for worship leaders <laughs> so that our living room would become a sanctuary and uh these worship leaders who were staying in our house would often sit right there on that ledge right in front of the fireplace sometimes while the fire was roaring a buck stove anybody got a buck stove let me know by the comments because uh you get it in a way that nobody here in the pacific northwest gets nobody knows what i'm talking about when i talk about a buck stove uh, and they would sing worship songs passionately and we would sing along with them and the holy spirit would fill that house and it was exquisite and it was beautiful that house that i grew up in 
my mom and dad have their name on the mortgage and they've had it there since I was three, but it really belongs to the Lord. And they'll be the first to tell you that. that that's why we've done what we've done with our house. I'm, I'm filming right now in a, in a, you know, a car shop that's on property that I own because it all belongs to the Lord. People come here and we serve them. You know, we baptize people in our hot tub. Uh, we lead Bible studies and worship services in our living room. I'm telling you, I know I'm going to sound like a hippie Christian, but I am telling you, you can just like feel the lingering effects of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in that house long after the teenagers have all gone home. Like their, their worship seems to just resonate in the ceiling above the great room in our house. And when they come, we'll cook for them. You know, uh, we clean the house before everybody comes every single time, which is like <laughs> minimum three times a week at the Redemption Church right now. And I grew up this way my entire life. Uh, my family has been serving the church and the house that I've lived in has belonged to the church. In fact, in one case, it literally did. <laughs> when I started at, at family church, it, the house literally belonged to the church. It was a parsonage. And there's never been a single moment where we've regretted serving the church. And that includes food. I'm telling you, man, food is a big deal to God. You may not be a preacher or a Bible study leader, and you may not be able to sing very well, but if you can cook food, I am telling you, man, like you perform a spiritual work that is of significance in God's sight, especially when you do so in the service of the people of God. Peter's mother-in-law was healed, and then she immediately got up and began serving. If you've given your life to Christ, whether it was seconds ago, like, you know, I mean, in the way that Peter's mother-in-law was healed just momentarily before, or it was years ago, would you serve, serve the church, open your house up. Even if you can't lead a Bible study, even if you don't feel qualified to, to lead in worship. In fact, if you're not, if you're not musically gifted, like, please don't, uh, <laughs> but like serve the church. If you can make food, if you can drive teenagers to a ski trip, if you can drive teenagers to high school camp, if you can build a fire in the fire pit, there's literally somebody in our church who just does that. If you can run a soundboard, you know, if you can set up signs and chairs and a nursery area, there's a deacon in our church who has done that for almost three years now. Serve the church and serve immediately because that's what happens when you've been healed by Jesus.